Well, good morning, New Life Church. It's great to be with you this morning. Thank you, Pedro, for that nice introduction. As he said, uh, my name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors over at ECC, and my family's been here for about three years. I'm originally from the state of Kansas in the United States. Uh, I've got three kids, ages eight, six, and two, and we love living here in Abu Dhabi, and it's been a great joy to serve at ECC. I've also really enjoyed getting to know Pastor Gareth and Pedro at New Life, and I've really enjoyed the fellowship we've had as brothers in Christ uh, as we serve at these different churches. We really appreciate your prayers for ECC. Uh, We pray for you at New Life regularly, and as you know, our senior pastor has moved back to the States. Pastor Jeremy is gone, and so we appreciate your prayers in this interim situation where it's just myself and Pastor Aubrey, and then we have a a senior pastor selection committee who's currently meeting and praying and and thinking about what, uh, what should happen next at ECC. So thank you for praying for us, and please continue praying, especially for our elders and for that selection committee, uh, that God would lead us to the right man to lead ECC for the, the next season. Well, I'm really excited to preach God's word to you this morning. We're going to be looking at John chapter 18, verses 1 to 27. I've titled this sermon, According to Plan. According to Plan. And I think we can all agree that 2020 has not gone according to plan. I'm sure you can think of five things, ten things, twenty things that have happened in 2020 that have not gone according to plan for you. We've had so many surprises, of course the pandemic and and many other things related to that. And so as we sit here now in July and we look forward to the second half of 2020, we can wonder what's going to happen next? What plans do I have for the rest of 2020? Is anything going to go according to plan? The last six months have been so crazy. So what about the rest of this year? Well, as we look at John chapter 18, we're going to see God's great plan working out through Jesus. And I think and I hope that this text and this sermon will encourage you that everything is going according to plan. So let's read John chapter 18 verses 1 to 27. I'll read it from the ESV, and I believe it'll be on the screen there for you. John 18, verses 1 to 27. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken, Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? 
So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door, at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Well, this morning we're going to look at three different plans that are taking place here in John 18. Three different people who have plans. We're going to see how those plans are carried out and whether or not they succeed or fail. So three plans here in John 18. And we'll start with the first plan, which is the failed plan. The I'm sorry, not the failed. The dark plan of Judas. The dark plan of Judas. This is a dark plan and sneaky and crafty plan from Judas, the betrayer. So at the beginning of the story, we see Jesus and the disciples go into a garden. And this is the famous Garden of Gethsemane. And it tells us here that Judas also knew the place. We see that in verse 2. Judas knew that Jesus took his disciples there. He had probably been there with them perhaps many times. And so Judas saw this as an opportune time to arrest Jesus. Why? Because this was a place where they could arrest Jesus away from the public, privately, in secret, so that there would not be some kind of riot or uprising from all of Jesus' supporters. This is a great sneaky plan from Judas. We also see in verse 3 that Judas has arranged a band of soldiers and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They are also participating in this plan, Roman soldiers and Jewish leaders. These groups have all conspired together. So it's really not just Judas's plan, it's Jews and Romans and Judas's plan. 
And it's interesting that in verse 3, it says they came with lanterns, torches, and weapons. This tells us that it is nighttime. They bring lanterns and torches so that they can see. And then they also have weapons. They're ready for a fight. Just in case Jesus and his group of ragtag disciples want to fight against the soldiers, they are ready with weapons, just in case. Well, does their plan work out? Does Judas's plan succeed here in the end? Well, actually, yes, it does. We see in verse 12, John shows us that the soldiers, captain, and Jewish officials tied up Jesus and arrested him. Again, both Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Romans, are part of arresting Jesus. And sure enough, there's no fight, no riot, no uprising. It was hard for them to arrest Jesus. We do see that one incident where they all fall backwards, and I'll talk about that a little more here in a minute. But ultimately, Judas's plan does succeed here. And sure enough, the next day, Jesus will be dead hanging on a cross. They actually get what they want. You know, as the story continues to unfold in John 18, we also see the dark plan in the sham of a trial that Jesus faces. This isn't a just trial. They take him to Annas, the father-in-law of the high priest Caiaphas. And Annas was still a very influential man. He was the former high priest. And they go to him, and then the trial shifts over to Caiaphas's house, the, the high priest. And we see in verse 15, Peter and the other disciple are in the courtyard of the high priest. So this is taking place like at his home. There's a fire there. You see them standing and warming themselves by a fire, which again indicates this is probably nighttime. Uh, they're, they're cold and it's dark, so there's a fire lit. And so when you think about justice and trials, do you think trials usually happen in the middle of the night? I mean, if you got a, a speeding ticket or committed some other small crime here in Abu Dhabi, do you think they would call you and say, meet us at midnight at the sheikh's house for your trial? No, I don't think so. That's not how justice works. Injustice happens in the darkness. Evil happens in the darkness. And yet that's what's happening with both Jesus' arrest and his trial. It's a dark, dark plan. They arrest him privately in the garden and take him by night to the high priest's house in the courtyard, and that's where he's convicted. And as I've already pointed out here, John is definitely emphasizing that we have both Jews and Gentiles who are part of this conspiracy, a part of this dark plan against Jesus. My friend, what I want to show you from this section is that all of us were a part of this plan against Jesus. All of us have conspired against Jesus, conspired against God in our sins. Now you might be thinking, oh, come on, I'm not that bad. I, I wouldn't have put a nail through the wrist of Jesus on the cross. I wouldn't have arrested him and done all this. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. But the Bible is clear. We all had a part in this. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all rebelled against God. None of us are righteous in our own works. None of us can stand before God and say, look, I'm innocent. I'm good enough for you. 
all of us helped to drive those nails into Jesus on the cross because all of us deserve the punishment of God. I mean, think about it. If even one of us, if one human could have lived a perfect life, a righteous life, a holy life, then Jesus would not have needed to die. God could have looked at that one person and said, see, there's the person that could do it. They lived a perfect and holy life, so Jesus doesn't need to die. The rest of you should be like this person. They're perfect. But not one of us could do it. All of us have sinned. And so the truth that we see here in John is that Judas put Jesus on the cross, the Jews put Jesus on the cross, the Gentiles put Jesus on the cross, Pastor Kurt and Pastor Gareth put Jesus on the cross, and you put Jesus on the cross. We are all guilty of this dark plan against Jesus. Well, maybe you're still thinking, you know, I, I grew up in the church. I'm a pretty good person. I've lived a pretty moral life. I'm, I'm ready to go and live my life courageously for Jesus. I'm never going to betray him or deny him or anything like that. Well, there's another person in this story who felt the same way. That takes us to our second plan that we're going to look at. And this is the failed plan of Peter. The failed plan of Peter. Peter had a plan. We just have to go back a few chapters in the Gospel of John to see what Peter's plan is. So look at John 13:37. It says, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. You see, Peter had every intention of following Jesus all the way to the end, even dying for Jesus. He was sure he would never deny Jesus. He was sure that he would be on the cross next to Jesus. He was so courageous and he would show the world how faithful he was. Well, how did Peter's plan work out? Not too well here in John 18, right? Let's go back to the garden in the first part of the story where Jesus is arrested. And we'll see Peter's plan completely fail. We see Peter's first step of foolishness. So as they come to arrest Jesus with their weapons, Peter is ready to fight. Peter wants to go to violence against the soldiers. And we see that in verse 10, he pulls out his sword. It's probably a small dagger. And he strikes the servant of the high priest. And John gives us great details here. He tells us that Peter cut off his right ear of the servant Malchus. His name is Malchus. And I love that because it shows us this is a historical account. This is not some kind of fairy tale. There are details, historical details to this account of John. And so Peter struck the ear. And when you think about this, Peter maybe maybe intended to kill Malchus. He almost killed him. I mean, think about it. If if his dagger had struck just a couple of centimeters to one side, he would have struck Malchus right in the face or head and probably killed him. So Peter almost became a murderer here. Is that what Jesus wanted? 
Think about all that Jesus had taught his disciples up to this point. Jesus had told them, his kingdom is not of this world. Jesus had told them, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus had told them, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to them the other cheek. Peter appears to have forgotten all of that in this moment. In the middle of the chaos of Jesus' arrest, Peter takes matters into his own hands. Do you ever do that? Do you ever try to take matters into your own hands when life around you is not going according to your plan? Do you try to take control? Do you try to take over and fix the problems in your own way rather than trusting in God? I think we all have a tendency to do that. But especially this year, think about how maybe you've tried to fix your own problems without looking to God. And what happens when we do that? We lose sight of what Jesus has told us and our plans fail, just like Peter's. It's not trusting in Jesus if we try to be the hero of our own story. Well, we see in verse 11 what Jesus thinks of Peter's courage. He rebukes Peter and tells him to put his sword back in his sheath. We know from the other Gospels that Jesus even heals the ear of Malchus right there on the spot. He fixes the mess that Peter created. Well, Peter's plan to die with Jesus fails even more at the uh, courtyard of Caiaphas, the high priest. As they go to his house in verses 16 and 17, the other disciple, probably John, gets Peter into the high priest's courtyard. And as Peter is entering, he is recognized. The servant girl at the door asks Peter the famous question, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? And Peter, after insisting that he would die with Jesus, what does he say? I am not. I am not. Just standing there, warming himself by the fire, the charcoal fire, acting as if he's just like the other officers and servants there, Peter is fitting in more with Judas's crowd than Jesus' crowd in this story. He's lost all courage to the point of denying he even knows Jesus. As you saw in the story, Peter denies Jesus two more times in verses 25 and 27. And again, John tells us that Peter is standing there warming himself, nice and comfortable by the fire while at the same time, his master is getting struck in the face by a soldier. All Peter can say, he says it a second time, I am not. Even when a relative of Malchus, the servant, seems to recognize Peter, he does his third denial in verse 27. All John says for the third one is, Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. Peter's failure is complete. It is a devastating failure. 
He goes from foolish violence to cowardly denial. He's really not much better than Judas in this moment. Judas's betrayal was dark and evil. It was cold and calculating. Peter's was different. It was more out of fear and cowardice. But it was a betrayal nonetheless. Brothers and sisters, how many of you are just like Peter? You know, many of us courageously and boldly will say, I will die for you, Jesus. I would never leave you, Jesus. But when the trials come, when suffering comes, when persecution comes, suddenly we act as if we don't know Jesus. We don't trust Him. We don't speak up that we are followers of Jesus. You know, a virus comes that we don't understand and it, it paralyzes us with anxiety. Or we become hoarders or we only worry about ourselves and our families instead of thinking about how it's affecting everyone else. I've seen some Christians post paranoid or hateful things on social media that are not reflecting Christ at all. The truth is, brothers and sisters, we all have moments to declare to the world that we are followers of Jesus no matter what will happen. And our actions say, I am not. Instead of saying, I am His. How have you done that this past year? Maybe even this past week? In what ways have you denied that you are a follower of Jesus? When the pressure is turned up in your life, do you go and get comfortable fitting in with the crowd, warming up next to the fire where it's safe and cozy? Or are you willing to take a stand and say, I follow Jesus? Peter's plan falls apart here in John 18 around the charcoal fire. His denial is front and center in this story. It certainly did not go according to plan for Peter. And it won't go according to plan for us if we take matters into our own hands or if we won't courageously stand for Jesus. Our plans fail when we act in our own strength. Let's now go to our third plan in the story. We've seen in the first plan uh, the dark plan of Judas. We've seen the failed plan of Peter. The third plan we're going to look at is the public and perfect plan of Jesus. The public and perfect plan of Jesus. Judas is sneaking around behind the scenes getting soldiers and priests and servants to come arrest him. Peter is warming himself by the fire, denying Jesus. But Jesus is on display. Jesus' plan is public here for all to see. He has no secrets. He is unashamed in these moments. John highlights this in the text. Let's go back to the garden again. When Judas is about to arrest Jesus and betray Jesus, Jesus confidently steps forward and says, I am he. He's not running away. He's not hiding. Peter said, I am not. Jesus says, I am he. He's the man they're looking for. He knows his time has come. And there's so much power in these words that those arresting him fall backwards to the ground. 
I'd love to see that. And when God reveals himself like that, people cannot stand. I don't know if you've had moments in your life where the love of God overwhelms you or the presence of God is, is so strongly sensed in you that maybe you, you fall to your knees in prayer and, and you can just hardly stand. Your, your knees become weak. I do think, though, I've, I've heard some preachers use this story to describe something called uh, slain in the spirit. Maybe you've seen preachers on TV or seen something like this where the preacher like shouts the name of Jesus and the whole crowd falls backwards and, and uh, kind of like what happens here in John 18. But actually in the New Testament, we don't really see that happening when the Spirit comes upon people. We see people declaring the Word of God boldly when they're filled with the Spirit. We see people filled with the fruit of the Spirit. One of those is self-control, not losing control while laying on the ground in some kind of trance. Um, we also have to remember in this story, these are the enemies of Jesus who fall backward to the ground. These are not his followers. So I don't think John is teaching us something about a, a so-called slain in the spirit here. But I do think we see that when God reveals himself, it is powerful. So Jesus is public and clear here. He tells them that he's the one they're seeking. He is Jesus of Nazareth. And then in verse 8, it's almost like he's playing with them, making them ask him again. He says, I already told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. He's not hiding or pretending. He's ready to go. He's ready to go to the plan that he's ordained since the beginning of time. And then we see Jesus' public plan on display in the questioning by the high priest. Jesus says in verse 20, I have spoken openly to the world. I've said nothing in secret. He reminds them that even as he taught in the temple, there were throngs of crowds, thousands of people who have heard him teach. Sure, he did have some private ministry with his disciples. He ministered in small groups sometimes, but we wouldn't call that secret. It was just more private. And so much of his ministry was public for anyone who wanted to hear. So why are they asking him now what he was teaching? And his point is that you could call any one of those thousands of witnesses to come and tell you what I've been teaching if you really cared about justice. <laughs> if you really wanted to have a fair trial, they could call so many different people to the witness stand. So he's out in the open. He's public and on display while they're doing the sham trial in the darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. His plans are not in darkness. And we also see how Jesus' plan is going perfectly. His plan is public for all to see, and it's going according to plan in a perfect way. It's been prophesied and foretold in so many ways. Let me show you four ways that we see that here in these 27 verses. First, in verse 4, it says, Jesus knowing all that would happen to him. He knew this was going to happen. It's all according to plan. John highlights that for us. He wasn't surprised when Judas came into the garden. Like, oh my goodness, it's Judas. He's betraying me. I had no idea. What am I going to do next? I thought he was one of my twelve and he's betraying me. I'm so surprised. <laughs> no, of course not. He knew this would happen. He knew the heart of Judas. You can't surprise God. It's all going according to plan. 
In verse 9, we see a second way that Jesus' plan is perfect. It says, He makes sure none of His disciples are arrested. This fulfills what He had said earlier in the Gospel of John, Of those who you gave me, I have lost not one. He's fulfilling this prophecy. He's not losing any of His disciples. And He won't lose any of us either. A third way we see this going according to plan is in verse 14 where it says Caiaphas had previously said it would be expedient for one man to die for the people. Now this is a bit complex, but earlier in the book of John we see Caiaphas make this declaration. And Caiaphas actually intended this for evil. His goal was that Jesus would die and not cause a big scene in order to protect the people and not have a big uprising against the Romans. Caiaphas was not thinking that Jesus would die for the sins of the world. But God took that and turned it into a prophecy that Jesus would die for the people. So what Caiaphas meant for evil in his words, God meant it for good, which we often see in the scriptures. And Jesus does end up dying for the people. And John highlights that here by showing that in Caiaphas' words. Caiaphas, without even knowing it, is perfectly fulfilling Jesus' plan. And the fourth way we see this here is that Jesus knew exactly what Peter would do, even to the detail of the rooster crowing. If you go back in the Gospel of John to chapter 13, verse 38, right after Peter declared that he would follow Jesus to death, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. You don't think God planned this? You don't think even the details of this world are in God's hands? The crowing of the rooster is part of God's plan. It's one of the smallest possible details you could think of. The crowing of a rooster, such a tiny, insignificant detail, is known by Jesus and part of God's perfect plan. Everything in this story is going according to plan. Jesus going to the cross and being crucified is part of God's plan. I wonder what God's plan is for you right now in this moment. For whatever reason, maybe you're a member of New Life, maybe you're a new person tuning in, but you're watching this sermon right now. And you've made it this far. You haven't turned it off. It's part of God's plan. What is God wanting to do in your life and your heart according to his plan right now? I don't know for sure, but I want to propose three possibilities. Three things God might want to do in your life right now. And they all start with the letter R. So the first one is this. I think God may be calling you to repentance repentance. Remember earlier how I said we all put Jesus on the cross. We are all guilty and we see that here in John 18. And you read forward on the pages of John and you see Jesus go and die this horrific death on the cross. And then he says it is finished. That's because on the cross he was 
paying the price for our sins. He was the one human who lived the perfect life because he was fully God and fully human. And so he lived the holy life and was the holy sacrifice on the cross to take the punishment we deserve so that we could take the righteousness that we don't deserve. Jesus did that for us. And so maybe God is calling you to put your faith in Jesus, to repent of your sins, turn from your sins, and give your life to Jesus and receive his forgiveness today. Maybe that's why God had you tune into this sermon right now. I know Pastor Gareth or anyone else from the church would love to talk with you more about that and what that means. Maybe that's God's perfect plan for you right now. And a second possibility for some of you may be a restoration. Maybe God's plan for you right now is to restore you into relationship with him. So Judas died in his sins. He never repented. But Peter, in God's plan, was restored. I want to show you in John chapter 21 how Peter is restored a little bit, and especially one really cool detail in the story. So remember here in John 18, Peter denies Jesus and he's spending time around this charcoal fire. Well, when we see Jesus restore Peter at the end of the Gospel of John, in John 21, verse 9, says, When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And it's at that place and that moment that Jesus asks Peter three times if he loves him, and he restores Peter. Well, that word for charcoal fire in John 21 is the same word in John 18 where Peter denies Jesus. It's the only place in the New Testament that we see a charcoal fire. I think John does that on purpose. That the very uh, type of fire that Peter denied Jesus at is the very place where Jesus restores Peter. He set this up. And so if you've denied Jesus or if you've fallen into sin or you haven't stood courageously for Jesus, maybe Jesus' interaction with Peter is calling you to a restoration today. Do you love Jesus? Well, start walking with him again. Start following and obeying him again and, and, and get back into relationship with God through Jesus. He'll restore you. And then a third thing that I think God may be doing in your life in this sermon is a reassurance. A reassurance. 2020 has been crazy. All of us have had some challenges with anxiety, uh, wondering what's going to happen next, the uncertainty of our jobs and, and uh, you know, not being able to see family, how's our family doing back home, all of the things we have to worry about. I'm sure many of you have struggled with the question, God, what are you doing right now? This doesn't make sense. And maybe you even feel a little distant from him or you're, you're having trouble trusting in his plan. Well, I hope that John 18 reassures you that it is going according to plan. 2020 is going according to plan. If everything in John 18 was going according to plan, I think we can trust the same is happening today.
because God is on the throne just as much now as he was then. So be reassured of that today, my brother and sister. Be reassured that it's going according to plan. Let's pray and ask for the Spirit's help with that. Lord, we come before you. We're so thankful for your plan that included us. You could have wiped us out, cast us to hell. You would have been right to do that. And yet you sent Jesus to go through all of this in chapter 18, to to be arrested in darkness and go through a sham of a trial and ultimately to be crucified to pay for our sins. Thank you for planning that when we never deserved it. Thank you for saving us. Thank you that you rose Jesus from the dead, that he's alive and sitting at the right hand of, of you, O oh Father. So we, we trust you. Help us to trust you with what's going on in this world right now. O oh Holy Spirit, we pray that you would empower us to trust you, that you would empower us to not deny Jesus, but to live for him. Would you fill us and give us courage and faith to, to make Jesus known to others? Lord, we, we, we worship you and we thank you. Thank you for your word. And we thank you that it's, it's all going according to plan. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.